0: This is the Startup Knockout podcast, smacking you in the face with German startup scene. I'm your host, Timo Hicks. So audience, this is our very first pilot episode. Our episode today is about a crypto startup, shadowy crypto startup from my friend Julian Boyce and his team who are based here in Munich. First, Jules gives us an intro into the dark market world of decentralized finance. And then we dive deep into his project in crypto arbitrage. This is a topic I've ignored for too long, but Jules opened my eyes to how intricate, complicated and fascinating it is. And it's no exaggeration to say that I will be watching this space carefully from now on. So without further ado, here's my chat with Julian Boyce. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Startup Knockout Podcast. I'm your host, Timo Higgs, and we're here today with Julian Boyce. Um, Jules and I are good friends, and he's been good enough to join me for this breakout podcast episode where we're going to dive into Web3 and crypto and DeFi and all the stuff that he's an expert in, and I am most certainly not. So, Jules, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Timo.
0: So we're going to get started with a little bit of your background, Jules, and try and figure out where you came from and how you got to be into Web3 and all of this other stuff. So give us a little rundown of uh, where you've been and where you're at now.
1: It's a good question, Timo. So I originally come out of, uh, I'm from North Carolina, the south of the United States, and uh, I grew up actually on the ocean. Um, And I had a a person uh, who inspired me very early in my life. It was um, one of my friend's moms. She was going to a community college um, in, in North Carolina where I grew up. And one day she gave me one of her programming books because she was studying computer programming. And that was something that was really kind of like black magic uh, for me at that time. That I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So eventually mm-hmm. when, I, when I eventually went to university, uh, studied computer science. And after that, uh, never looked back.
0: That's how you got started. That's, that's actually a very touching story. I've never heard that one from you. So how is it then that you find yourself in Munich? How did you get all the way over here?
1: When I was in high school, I asked myself a fundamental question. And uh, I would look at uh, books of art, books of architecture, because that's one of my first loves.
0: And you're in the right place for it.
1: Exactly. And so uh, when the opportunity came, I uh, signed up to do an exchange in Europe. So I always tell people, I, I studied in the sciences, but I lived the liberal arts. And then I was lucky enough uh, to have another big influence in my life, uh, One of my former German teachers encouraged me to apply for the Fulbright. And so I was lucky enough to win that scholarship. And I wanted to make sure that I had an authentic experience. So so I came down south. I said, okay, where do people tend not to go? Uh, And So that's how I ended up in Munich.
0: Jesus, you're a Fulbright scholar?
1: A lot lot of surprises, (laughs) man.
0: We should have done this years ago. (laughs) It's putting together a lot of pieces of the puzzle that we didn't know before. Okay. Okay. Last background question, and then we'll start getting into the Web3 stuff. So how did you come into the world of entrepreneurship? How did you think you were going to strike out on your own and start into the world of you know, high risk, maybe high gain?
1: At some point in time, you begin to understand the difference between exchanging your time for money versus uh, exchanging your actual value uh, for money. Time for money is when you come to a contractual agreement with an employer. But over time, you start to realize that you're constantly adding your own skills to your skill set. In other words, you're increasing your value. The, the more skills that you have, uh, the faster you need to shift over to uh, that exchange of value for money. So when, once I figured that out, that it made sense to to move move as an entrepreneur and own uh, what it is that I was building.
0: I feel like that is the most logical answer to that question that I've ever heard. Usually it's it's something very, very emotional where people are like, uh-huh. yeah, I just hated my job and I had to get out and I had no other options. <laughs> but you're just like sitting there creating an equation on a napkin or something in a in like a Harvard cafe and figuring you yeah. know what this this calculation just, just doesn't work out.
1: Yeah, the the numbers really don't add up.
0: Yep, for you and me both. Okay, so let's get into the Web3 stuff. So we're going to stay a little bit high level right now. And audience, um, we're assuming that you guys have an idea of what this stuff is that you've probably heard some of these buzzwords associated with it, um, but that you don't really know the nitty gritty the way that Jules does because he works with it on a daily basis. But we also have a special treat for you is we're going to have another episode with Jules where we're going to dive really, really deep into this. So we're going to stay high level for this one. So for now, though, we'll start with DeFi. So decentralized finance.
1: Yeah, sure. One of the good ways to understand decentralized finance is to understand its opposite, which is centralized finance. If I want to send you... Uh, 10 euros via bank, then I have to I have to first deposit that 10 euros into a bank and then instruct my bank to send 10 euros to your bank, and then you can go do a withdrawal. So that would be centralized. The exact opposite of that uh, decentralized finance is something that we actually do every day. If uh, we're sitting in the same place at the same time together, and I pull out a, a $10 or 10 euro note, and I just hand it to you, actually, that's decentralized finance. To move that over into the digital world, um, it's basically... Uh, moving over those same ten euros, but just in a digital fashion, without all of the intermediary intermediaries uh, sitting in between. Uh, so, for example, we see it all the time. Every time you go to a coffee shop and you're buying a cup of coffee there, a lot of times you get this little piece of paper or cardboard uh, where essentially they're stamping every single uh, coffee that you that you purchase there. And at the end of the day, uh, once you've bought 10, then you get the 10th one free, or you buy nine you get the 10th one free, right? And so the value that's being encapsulated there, it's not me coming to your home, fixing a window. It's me just visiting your coffee shop on a regular basis. So I'm a valued customer. In fact, it has it in its name. So that's a value encapsulation. That's the essence of decentralized finance. It's saying that, hey, you can encapsulate any type of value you want, right? You can represent it. In our case, we have, uh, maybe these coffee cards and cake cards, yeah, and then you can reward people based upon whatever you feel is the correct economic incentive,
0: just value going between two people without anybody in the middle. So I really like that. And then yeah, the uh the, the cake stamps and the and the coffee stamps thing, that was the one that I loved from before. Really helped me understand the topic better. Let's move on from there to cryptocurrencies. I hazard a guess to say that most people don't really understand what crypto is precisely. So why don't you run us through real, real quick what a cryptocurrency is?
1: Right. So simplest way to do that is really just to break down the, the, the two words, crypto and, and currency. We know what currency is. It's a, it's a unit of account. It's fungible, fungible meaning that they all have the exact same value. There's no difference between uh, the two of them. But then comes the crypto part. And I think that's that's really for the listeners. A lot of people get tripped up on on crypto. So crypto is just a short term for cryptography. Every time you send an email, um, there's cryptography that's being used to encrypt it. Right? So that, and the whole purpose for that is so that you can make sure that the person who should read it is able to read it and the people who shouldn't be able to read it should not be able to read it. The only difference is, is that we don't call email that uses cryptography, we don't call it crypto email. We don't call it crypto WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. In cryptocurrency, the word crypto stuck. And so just like you could call Email, crypto email. You could call WhatsApp crypto WhatsApp, right? We just call it email and WhatsApp. At least it's my conjecture. I think it's stuck also because there are there's digital currency. Because then a person also would, would ask, well, what's the difference between me sending uh, uh, a euro through my bank uh, using the internet? Uh, what's the difference, right? So at least in terms of vocabulary, cryptocurrency kind of kind of just stuck. It started
0: out mainstream, I guess. Now, this is something I don't know, actually, if there were cryptocurrencies before Bitcoin, uh, yeah. but Bitcoin was certainly the one that blew up into mainstream culture the most. There has been a lot of cryptocurrencies created, and now they're being used for all sorts of things. What are most of them being used for now?
1: Yeah, so that's that's one of the things is that uh, when it comes to cryptocurrency, really depending on where you are in the world, it's going to dictate how you're going to use cryptocurrency. So a lot of times in, in the West, we we think about it in terms of the speculative investment. There's places in the world, for example, South America, Venezuela, Argentina, people are looking for alternatives of, of storing their value, but just not in those banks. Yeah. So that means that every time you, if you go to work, your hard-on money just disappears because there's some revolution that happens, or some semi-dictator essentially makes a decision that crashes your economy. Yeah? We see that over and over again. So one of the biggest use cases of people are are attempting uh, to move their money out of these banks and put them essentially on the internet so that if, if hyperinflation occurs and there's bank runs, then they actually have access to their value. Yeah? It leads to another thing, um, and it's remittances. Yeah, So remittances are for, for the audience is basically when you're, it's essentially when you're sending money home. These are pretty much the, the, the biggest use cases that you have. Now, there's even more interesting ones. Um, anytime there's an activity that your particular jurisdiction, your government, deems is something you can't do. Gambling, for example. A lot of times there's a lot of uh, uh, gambling sites that uh, deal with cryptocurrencies. And uh, another one of the big ones that a lot of people don't think about are, is uh, adult entertainment. Uh, people like Visa and MasterCard because of public relations. They don't like to process those payments. yeah, They don't want to be associated with that type of activity. And a lot of that is actually handled through cryptocurrency.
0: So the thing that we wanted to get into with you, Jules, because this, this speaks to project that you're involved in at the moment is crypto exchange and arbitrage. Give us a quick rundown of what an exchange is and how it's used these days.
1: Yeah. So the best way to, to think about these exchanges is first to, to start again in the centralized, decentralized world. So a lot of these meltdowns that you hear about in the news are coming from centralized exchanges. Yeah. Centralized exchanges, again, are just uh, anytime you have to open an account somewhere, you're probably dealing with a centralized exchange meaning that <clears throat> if you want to change some uh, some cryptocurrency A for cryptocurrency B and you go to Coinbase, you're working through a centralized um, authority. The decentralized exchanges, on the, other, on the other hand, as opposed to the Coinbase's of the world, the Binance's of the world, they're the ones that allow you to just essentially swap out that digital version of the coffee card for the cake card without having to uh, uh, go through any type of intermediary.
0: I feel like the centralized ones are the ones that have been in the news for the most part in the last little while.
1: Kind of specifically what, what was going on with the centralized exchanges. Oftentimes, just like anything else is about transparency. If you don't understand the, the investments that they're that they're making with, with maybe user deposits, et cetera, then the, a, a lot of things can, can, can occur where those uh, funds can, can then evaporate. The centralized exchanges, since they don't have people involved, they are actually 100% controlled by software code. And anyone who's written software code understands you can make an error in that code. And if that error isn't caught, then funds can get stolen.
0: (laughs) Okay. let's, Let's zero in on this a little bit more, because this is interesting, this idea of transparency. So with centralized exchanges, I think that conversation is taking place in the public right now. So everyone's trying to understand how did FTX collapse and how did they have such bad governance and... Um, such poor amounts of transparency. Like, how did all this happen? Especially when they had such high-profile investors. Um, but what I'm interested in is these decentralized ones. So, how exactly do they kind of portray their their transparency? How do they how do they get that across to you when you go and look at a decentralized exchange and you're deciding whether or not you want to use this one or another one? How is it you're judging whether this is transparent enough and you're able to understand? how it's built and whether it's suitable for you, whether it's transparent enough?
1: It's a great question because at the end of the day, this is one of those situations where 99% of people aren't gonna do that and gonna rely on 1% of people who actually did do the check.
0: And which one are you? Are you in the 99 or are you in the one?
1: (laughs) You you hope to be part of that 1%, that's that's the goal. Everybody should have that goal to be part of that 1%. Decentralized Exchange at its core is just a piece of software. The most important thing is that that software is publicly known. The fact that you can verify it or that someone can verify it, builds trust in that small group and from that small group, it extends to to a large group of people.
0: Oh, that is interesting, actually. Okay, so let, let's um, move on to the next topic then, arbitrage. It's a very economic word, financy word. word. Um, so what is arbitrage?
1: I always explain it in terms of a fruit market, on one side of the street, there's a stand selling selling apples, for example, for a euro. And on the other side of the street, there's apples being sold for, for a euro and 10 cent. You're going to want to buy apples for the one euro on one side, if you know that you can sell them on the other side of the street for a euro and 10 cent and make a profit. So anytime you have two markets selling the exact same thing, bananas, pears, etc., but at different prices, then people come in and they, they buy on the low side, sell on the high side until that uh, so-called inefficiency, as it's called, the difference between the prices uh, Mm -hmm. is essentially eliminated. And that's what arbitrage is.
0: Okay. Let's get into then crypto arbitrage, because that, as I understand it, is a lot of what your project is based on. Dive into that for us.
1: So at the end of the day, on the highest level, you're doing the exact same thing. You're sitting there, you're watching the markets, and you're looking at prices. And every time you see that the prices are changing, you're saying, okay, is there an imbalance? If there is so, then I want to capitalize on it. So on the crypto markets, you have all of these different uh, decentralized exchanges. Instead of them being fruit markets or fruit exchanges, you got decentralized exchanges all over the place, all over the world, and they're buying and selling the same assets, the same apples, for example, or let's call them digital apples. And it means that in this case, instead of you being able to just sit there on the street and and, and monitor two markets, you might have to. Monitor hundreds or thousands of these markets, uh, and so that's basically what we do: is that we uh, we take account essentially of all the price changes going on uh, in the markets. When we identify an inefficiency, then we quickly try to calculate: okay, how many of how many of this can we can we buy and sell somewhere else in the world for that?
0: And which currencies are you using most of the time?
1: Yeah, so we have a restriction where we only use uh, ethereum so we begin and end our transactions with ethereum and then there's these currencies out there which uh, they, they move 5 10 fifteen percent every single day right so oftentimes you don't want to be exposed uh, to those types right it means that mm-hmm. for example if, if you know that the price of bananas changes every five minutes you, you don't want to, to stop with a with an asset that's going to uh, change in price and then whatever profit you made, you lose five minutes later just because of the price volatility, but we always try to make sure that we don't end up with one of these volatile assets at the end.
0: So that means Ethereum is what you're walking into the market with and it doesn't matter what different cryptocurrencies you're trading while you're inside that market. Once you leave that market, you need to leave with Ethereum.
1: That's right. You explained it much better than I did.
0: No, I'm just I'm I'm pulling it together from you. I'm trying to organize my thoughts around this thing because it's as we as we said before when we did the pre-interview. It's this is complex stuff, especially because it's it's changing so quick. That was one of the things that really stood out to me when I started reading about it from the stuff that you'd sent me. Uh, how big it has gotten, which you know you hear you hear numbers thrown around like however many billions are being exchanged inside of a day or a week or a month and but then when you start seeing how many different exchanges there are, how many different currencies there are, how many different people individual people are actually exchanging these things on a daily basis, then you start to get an idea for holy shit, I haven't been paying attention to this and now this is this is something like this is really, It's something that is not gonna go away very easily because it's become very integral to a lot of people's lives. Okay, let's dive down then just a little bit more into your project. So uh, first of all, does your project have a name or is it not kind of the the traditional tech startup sort of thing that we think of, of like a guy in a garage with hoodies and sandals and everything like that? Like, do you try and go for investment? Do you just use your own money? Um, how does your project work when you're getting into crypto arbitrage?
1: <laughs> right. So there's there's still guys with hoodies in basements. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> um,
0: Never get rid of that.
1: <laughs> yeah. the, the interesting thing about uh, about this is unlike a normal tech startup, maybe you start up stealth, but once you come out, uh, you want the entire world to know. Crypto arbitrage is the is the opposite. If you're successful, you don't want anyone to know. Uh, The simple reason why is uh, because this is uh, just like you said uh, maybe a few minutes ago that uh, people start noticing, hey, you can uh, what are you telling me? You can make money on this. And then uh, people try uh, attempt to copy your trade. It it seems like there's a tradition, and particularly in crypto, there's a certain level of paranoia that's in the industry to begin with because that's where the industry began. Now, that being said, uh, the tools, the mechanisms that we use, the things that we have to build, they do have business applications. Right. There's a lot of business applications for, for monitoring a market, executing trades um, in the fastest amount of time. Uh, those are things that have other applications outside of arbitrage. And so we try to break those up and, and then spin them off um, or attach them maybe to, to another business or look for investment in that area.
0: I like that, though. I like the, the vision of the crypto trader sort of in the shadows. I think it was a Colin Farrell movie. He was a Navy SEAL, and he was like, yeah, my my boat captain used to say, if people ever found out what we did, we'd failed. I guess I'll extend that and be... It it would be, if people ever found out what you did, either you failed or you succeeded wildly, and now you're in the news.
1: That's right. That's basically what it is.
0: Okay, so let's move off of your project then, and we'll get to our last bit. This is a little bit of a game that we've put together, and I have to admit, I have kind of borrowed this concept from Motley Fool Money and their podcast, they do buy, sell, or hold. We're doing win, loser, draw, and here's how it works. I'm going to give Jules a concept and he's going to tell us if he thinks it's a winner and why, if it's a loser and why, or if it's a draw, if it's a draw, it's kind of, eh, we're going to sit back and wait. We're not quite sure if it's, if there's a win or a lose or a loss there. Winner is, this is, this is good stuff and Jules has got a reason for it and loser is self-explanatory so jules are you ready for a round of win lose or draw
1: i'm ready let's do it
0: so first one the big one win lose or draw bitcoin
1: i'm going to go with win simply because it's a good store of value um i think people have people understand that this is not supposed to be this isn't something you're going to transact with uh this is something where you're going to take your value you're going to hold on to it um, and then transfer it back maybe to a sovereign currency when you're when you're ready to spend
0: okay a win for bitcoin uh next one Win-lose-a-draw, large banks using crypto with their commercial customers.
1: I'm going to give a draw on that. So I I can see large banks exposing customers to something like Bitcoin so that a person can, maybe there's some some ETF kind of uh, way of uh, buying into a basket of currencies. But on the other side, we're going to have to see what governments uh, are going to do about this. There's governments around the world coming out with their own so-called central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. Uh, and don't really know how that's going to disrupt uh, finance once once that occurs. So I'm gonna, I think i go with a draw on that one.
0: China actually is, I, if they haven't rolled it out already, they're getting real close to rolling out their own cryptocurrency.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: And you mentioned federal governments creating their own cryptocurrency through their central banks, but let's get into the regulation side of it and how governments are going to regulate it. So win, lose, or draw, crypto. Uh, EU-wide crypto regulation.
1: So, uh, anything that EU bureaucrats do is typically a lose. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to give an automatic lose to that. Uh, Crypto regulation is something that something that we need, but uh, we need good crypto regulation. One of the interesting things is that uh, if if you look at how regulation works, you first have to you have to draw it up, and that takes quite a long time to draw up the regulation has to be voted on, has to get passed, and then it has to go into action. And literally that can be a five-year process. And anybody who understands how technology works, anything you do today in five years is irrelevant. A lot of money has to get spent to fit a circle into a square.
0: I wanna nail you to this one here. Um, Do you think that it would then be better if crypto regulation was just done by individual governments and not an EU-wide sort of thing? Or do you think, Government regulation of this is always going to get it wrong because technology is just too fast.
1: I always give the a very high-level answer to that, and I ask people to think about the, uh, the internet. It's an act of God that you can go anywhere in the world and your Wi-Fi works. If anybody stops and thinks about that, normally you would have German Wi-Fi or German internet, Japanese internet, Canadian internet, Argentinian internet. But the fact that this technology is universal, can be used anywhere, is absolutely amazing. So ultimately, whatever regulation comes, I think we need to borrow uh, from the internet. In terms of crypto regulation, there's two things. One, we hope that there's at least minimum two environments, that there's the cryptocurrencies that you see, the Bitcoins, the Ethereums of the world, um, alongside the central bank digital currencies. We really hope that the regulation doesn't kill off the community-created cryptocurrencies uh, because with a single sovereign, Digital currency, which is the only currency that can be used, uh, you can very quickly slip into to a place where you actually have no sovereignty over your value anymore.
0: Oof. The one or two libertarian bones that I have in my body are, are getting scared. They're quivering right now. It reminds me of uh, if you bought a phone back in North America, it would be locked and you couldn't use it in Europe without getting unlocked and how pissed off people were about that. Yeah. Nobody likes silos, especially not right. business. Okay, let's do our last one then. Win, loser, draw. Crypto being used for everyday purchases soon. So if I want to buy a pizza, I can use crypto to do it.
1: People that I know, I, I'm going to have to. well, I'm going to give a draw on that. For 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 example, we know Facebook already tried to do this um, with their project Libra, and that got shot down. And so that's what puts me kind of on draw. There's also powerful tech companies like Amazon. They would maybe love to have their own programmable money. I'm uh, banking on lobbying efforts from those types of groups to potentially be able to push this through. If you've got a legislative body that's slightly more leaning towards uh, pro-business, as sometimes it's called, then you might actually get, get to see this push through. In a-
0: yeah. So you figure eventually somebody's going to do it, whether it's you know a major economy Will, will really be the telltale, but eventually you're gonna get a government that's like, eh, why not? We'll give it a go.
1: Yeah, you got governments already doing that. Um, there's nice little graphs that show how many governments in the world are at least experimenting with it.
0: But the idea that Amazon would do it is a really interesting one because they're kind of everywhere and people already have so much money going in and out of Amazon. Like this isn't really a new concept that a company would have its own currency. It's just the scale is changing. because. I don't know. You remember when you were a kid, you ever go to Chuck E. Cheese? That's right. Yeah. And they had Chuck E. Cheese dollars, right? right? So you could only get them there at Chuck E. Cheese. You could use them at all participating locations, but you couldn't use them anywhere else, but you could still trade them with your friends if you wanted to That's because all right. oh, my buddy's got, uh, he's got a birthday coming up and I've got like, 70 Chuck E. cheese dollars that I can't use cuz I'm not going there again for another 11 months cuz I just have my birthday. So they had their own currency, unregulated. But yeah, it, it didn't leak out into the rest of the economy and nobody was uh <laughs> you know using it to buy a couch. That's <laughs> Oh, poor chucky e. cheese. He was ahead of his time. Okay, so that was good. That was win lose or draw and that brings us to the end of our podcast. And uh, Jules, thanks so much for illuminating so much in a very, very dark market, dark concept sort of thing for us. And we're definitely gonna have you on again and we're gonna go even deeper into this into this labyrinth with you if uh,
1: if you wanna come back. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tiva. anytime.
0: That was our discussion with Julian Boyce. Thanks everyone for joining us on the Startup Knockout Podcast. Make sure to hit the subscribe button Find us on social media or on Twitter, LinkedIn, and TikTok. And tune in next week where we dive into the world of e-commerce with Ryan Sherrard. Take care, everyone.